2: All right, gentlemen, we are uh, we are progressing nicely, mm-hmm. still getting our landing gear out here. And yes, uh, <laughs>
1: the,
2: the moments are arriving that we never thought would. No, this is uh, this is some great stuff that we really want to unpack. So we want to make sure that we're intentional about it and uh, that we're doing everything we can to, to walk through these uh, wonderful parts of the mass. So, Chris, mm-hmm. you remind us where we left off.
1: Yes, so this uh, we're in about hour 23 of this particular Mass. And uh, we're, with the just the <laughs> we're just scratching the surface. just about done. And then
2: we're going to go back and do the whole thing again, uh, but we're going to look at it systematically this time.
0: Oh, yeah. boy. Instead of scattershot yeah, like this
1: time. Yeah. No, we should do another one with uh, from, the, uh, from the point of view of you and uh, Isaac, for example, or through the eyes of a child. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All I knew
0: as a child is I hated going to church. Sunday was torture. Uh, getting in the car i couldn't wait for it to be over i even knew eucharistic prayer too i didn't know it had a number all i knew is when it started with those words it was short and i get out easily you, quickly like even you as know when
1: when uh, this reminds me of this uh, anecdote that i've recounted here remember our friend father john grant ally alum priest of uh, tulsa he said that when he was a little boy his dad told him that heaven would be be like mass and he, cried. And he just started crying.
0: <laughs> it does take anyway, some, some discipline. It's like to ask a kid to sit still for an hour. It's a lot. It's a lot yeah. for them, you know?
1: Well, and hopefully what this, <laughs> I can't if, even sit still uh, for an yeah. hour. Hopefully with this year's po- podcast, you know, going through the order of mass by the book, right? So this is inspired by traditionis Custodes about, you know, part of the, part of the, the, the rift that exists uh, to a greater or lesser degree, depending on where you are, is because the Mass is not celebrated like it's supposed to be. So people want to find something that is maybe a little bit more according to Hoyle. So we wanted to look through the order of Mass and look exactly what the Missal says. You know, I think most people in the church, they know there's a big, fat, red book up there, but nobody's ever looked in it. And so we want to we say... Uh, talk about those things uh, in in the big book. So uh, when we left off last time, we were in the uh, communion rite, and I think, uh, what did we finish? Um, oh, we, we were talking about um, the desire of the church to receive communion from the altar, that is to say, from the elements consecrated at that mass, because that's a sacrifice, uh, and also ideally from the chalice, although, you know, they, I don't know, I don't know the degree to which the chalice is returning anytime soon with uh, in this post-COVID world, but now we're ready to talk about the people themselves going to communion. And so uh, we're going to look at, um, let's see, 86 in the germ and then uh, 160. So why don't we, uh, why don't we start with, uh, with that?
0: Okay, can I tell you right away something that's mm-hmm. jumped out at me for a while? And it came from this question that you uh, asked me to answer in... At Hermes Bulletin once, is is there Ah. a theology of church floor? (laughs) And that is that the aisle between the pews and people walk down is the place of the communion procession. And I think, you know, we think of processions, entrance, maybe, you know, exit, maybe offertory if there is one. I think people just think, oh, I can walk up there and get communion and sit down. But a procession is a thing that has a tangible quality. And uh, I think that's an important word to to bring up. So there's your cue to say something smart, Chris.
2: Well, Dennis, I love when you're about to say something because I know I'll like it.
1: I'll be sure to ignore that (laughs) comment. All right. But now here's something uh, that I'd never noticed before relative to that comment you just made, Dennis. Look at number 159. In the germ? No, 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 no. sorry. 160 in the germ. 160 in the germ.
0: That first sentence. Ooh, your favorite number. The priest who then takes (gasps) the paten or ciborium
1: and goes to communicants who, as a rule, approach in a procession. Oh, see, that's interesting. This is another example of uh, your translation. What mine says is the priest then takes the paten or ciborium and approaches the communicants who usually come up in procession. Uh-huh. Now, I'll tell you why I, that kind of jumped out at me, is, um, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion about um, maybe people going forward in the communion procession who ought not to be, whether because they're uh, under canon 915 and there's some uh, prohibition about them receiving communion, maybe they're not in a state of grace, maybe they're uh, a non-Catholic spouse, uh, maybe they're children, right, because... In, um, let's say, in the communion rail time, which there are communion rails more and more, is people just come up in no particular order. But I think uh, now it's, you know, imagine you're in the pew and everybody just files out, whether it's because you have an usher who's uh, uh, releasing people for communion or it's just sort of, it's this machine where everybody comes forward Uh, And so there are people in the communion procession who are not going to receive communion. But so anyway, that, that word usually come forward in procession was something that I thought was interesting. Anyway, I might be the only one. (laughs) Well, does that mean it was that some comment maybe about when people used to
0: kneel for communion and didn't come up in procession? Well, yeah.
1: Think about, uh, well, again, none of us has any lived experience from prior to the council, but if you, you know, for a, for a communion rail, it was just kind of, it, it was, seemed less orderly. You just came forward and you found your play, uh, an opening in the communion rail. But now with the, the kind of a more strict procession, it's, you just, you're in the queue and you come forward. I don't know. think, anyway, okay, we, we can, we can move
0: Who knows on. why people write rubrics in Rome? They should have yeah. commentary <laughs> on the rubrics, is what
2: I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. But some
2: places still, it's kind of chaos. You know, you just, everybody goes up you know, willy-nilly whenever you
1: want. Yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, to Dennis's point, you know, what a, a procession is a process. It's not a, a random, you know, what they say on Good Friday for the veneration of the cross, the rubric is actually the people come forward as if in a procession. And that's always reminded me of that, you uh-huh. know, when the when the shepherd is uh, struck, the sheep don't know what to do. And so in this case, our shepherd is uh, on the cross and the, the, the people are just, in chaos, wandering, so they only come forward as if in a procession. Does but that here, mean it's not really mm-hmm. a procession?
0: Oh, oh, okay. But it is really a procession. You're saying, okay.
1: Well, uh, what on Good Friday or here at communion? Here at communion. Yeah, I think it is. It, it's similar to that, but I think to your point, Dennis is is this is the this is your um, how do you want to say cementing you into your place in the body of Christ when you receive the body of Christ it incorporates you more definitively into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ isn't that, we said, it's not some mystical amoeba. It's it's an order. It's like your body, you know, where there's hands and feet and ears and eyes and whatnot. So I think uh, um, it's it's a quirky word, but no, this is, it's an organized thing. But anyway, okay, let's uh, go to, we're still at 160. Uh, it says here in my uh, translation, it is not permitted for the faithful to take the consecrated bread or the sacred chalice by themselves, and still less from them to hand it uh, from one to the other mm-hmm. among themselves. I know why What's this is that? In there.
0: Why? Well, I remember being at some masses even up till college days, where people would either the extraordinary ministers, who were then called Eucharistic ministers, would go up and they would go up to the altar and receive, you know, the blessed the sacrament themselves, and they would hand the chalice from one the other and then do sort of things as if they were kind of quasi-priests. And mm -hmm. uh, I know that this is, I imagine this is a comment on that, like, you know, Mm -hmm. rules come in, you may not do things usually when something that shouldn't be happening
1: is happening. I see sometimes, again, this was in the pre-COVID chalice uh, days where some people would take the host and then they would carry it down to where the communion minister with the chalice was and dip the host and tink the host themselves and then receive. right? But you're not supposed to take the consecrated host yourself. It's The Eucharist is always a gift that is received. And I think I remember reading, once upon a time, you know, like 20 years ago as a student at the Liturgical Institute, that even in some of the earlier centuries, that even concelebrating priests would have communion given to them, just to kind of make the same point that the gift, which is the Eucharist, Right. So this isn't know. about clericalism per se,
0: right? Like, oh, lay people, are, no. they can't do this. It's the idea that Christ is offering this bread of heaven to you, standing mm-hmm. in the sanctuary, maybe r- reaching across into the aisle. And, you know, extraordinary ministers are used when they're necessary, if mm-hmm. priests can't do it. But to maintain that sign value of Christ giving himself to you, important stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Who,
1: all right. who ruined it all with reaching for it <laughs> in the beginning? Ah, that's a good point. Yeah, Adam and Good you. point. Give me my fruit. Well, oh, and there's this great line from uh, Albert the Great that says, the Eucharist is the fruit of the tree of life, mm. which is the cross. Smart, right? So yeah, here we don't reach for it. Hmm. Good, Dennis. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. 160 continues. The norm established for the dioceses of the United States of America is that Holy Communion is to be received standing unless an individual member of the faithful wishes to receive communion while kneeling. What do you make of that?
0: Well, this was a battle there for a while because people (laughs) wanted to receive newing and then people would read the old version of the General instruction and it would not allow for it and they were Mm -hmm. told to be even denied communion in some places. Then it softened a little bit like, well, don't make a scene out of it, give them communion, but then, you know, talk to them later
1: about Mm -hmm. their
0: uh, antiquated desires. This one seems to say... The norm is this, but exceptions are allowed. Is that how you read it?
1: Yeah, yeah sometimes in my more cynical moments, it's uh, the norm is standing unless you don't want to. <laughs> you should, everybody should stand unless you don't want to stand, then you don't have to stand. But yeah. That language mm-hmm.
2: is all throughout liturgical documents, uh, though. Yeah. Like.
1: yeah. Do you see? I don't know if you see the footnote there. This was from the document called Redemptionis Sacramentum on things to be done or avoided in the celebration of the Mass. And the genesis of this document was, uh, we had this year of the Eucharist that began under John Paul II, and then he died in the midst of the year of the Eucharist. And uh, he had written, his last encyclical uh, was called Ecclesia de Eucharistia. And at the end of that, he asked the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments to write this type of prescriptive document. And this is what came out of that document, that communicants are not to be denied uh, communion if they kneel. But I don't know. My own kind of take on this is, I mean, what's the point of communion? Communion? This, this is, yeah, it's, and what does communion do for you? Joins you to Jesus Christ, fills you okay. with divine life. But what is required of you to be joined to Jesus?
0: You have to be humble and desire it and offer Bingo, yourself. bingo. It's however so, you
1: this is pure editorializing on my part. I mean, the, the, all of these rites in preparation for communion, Lord, I am not worthy, and things like that, is to get us in a posture of humility and docility. And this is what I think you know, communion on the tongue uh, and kneeling, those were meant to express. But, you know, maybe a different read on this is is, you know, if I'm to be transfigured into Christ, I need to be pliable and docile mm-hmm. and, and humble. And so, I at least think to myself, you know, whatever my own, you know, personal preferences might be, that I almost sometimes think that I should do the opposite of that, as a matter of spiritual humility and, uh, again, yeah, pliability. But anyway, what, like, I must kneel to, to be pious.
0: Even though I'm disobeying the norms of the the bishops, is that what
1: you mean? No, I'm saying the opposite. Ah. I might want to kneel, but if the norm is this, and these gestures and actions and postures are meant to get me in a state where I can be changed, uh, then I should do that which I don't want to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a spirit of obedience. Obviously, people disagree about that, and they're welcome to a man that. Anyway,
0: But, you know, we one of the previous uh, podcasts, we talked about the sign of peace and how it should be and how it's supposed to be sober and people next to you. And, and one of us said something like, here's the good test. If it prepares you better to receive mm-hmm. communion, then you're doing it right. If it distracts mm-hmm. you and interrupts your mm-hmm. preparation for receiving communion, then something's wrong. Right. So you could probably yeah. say the same thing about about
1: mm-hmm. this. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I thought the norm was going to be kneeling, but communion in hand. So... I see some of that too sometimes. <laughs> you know, here at Benedictine, kind of oxy-
0: uh, Benedictine, we have a lot of pious students, right? So there's all varieties one knee, two knee, sliding down on the knees, standing up. And, uh, you know, here they just let people receive the way they want, assuming that it's, yeah. <laughs> that it's humble. Well, you know,
1: it's a good the, the, the theology beneath that is that, right, is communion is about communion, it's about union. And so the outward signs ought to help express and foster that unity. On the other hand, there's, uh, you know, we don't go to communion and lockstep and become, you know, robots or something like that. You remain Jesse and Dennis and Chris and whoever, and so there's a degree of uh, individuality that uh, is uh, is allowed by uh, individual communicants. But that's mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Uh, so let's go. Uh, still in one sixty. Uh, the c- oh, when receiving holy communion, the communicant bows his or her head before the sacrament as a gesture of reverence, and receives the body of the Lord from the minister. All right, so a bow of the head. The consecrated host may be received either on the tongue or in the hand at the discretion of the communicant. Mm-hmm.
2: Unless there's a global p- pandemic. Well,
1: that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was a pretty hot topic over the last few years uh, about... Um, how to distribute and how to receive communion uh, in the midst of uh, COVID, you know, and is receiving, you know, can a bishop legislate such that communion is only to be distributed uh, uh, in the hand when the germ says this? And I think it was a bishop in Kentucky or Tennessee did that very thing, and they submitted a dubia to Rome, and the response was, yes, they could. They can anyway. restrict it
0: one to the other? Yeah, oh. yeah under
1: those circumstances, yeah. Well,
0: because, I you know, that's the humanion right. in the hand started as an indult, right? It was a temporary mm-hmm. permission. I think it was given by Paul VI. Then it expired, right? And I think it got renewed. And then somehow, did it actually get absorbed into the norms? I mean, here it doesn't have a footnote or
1: anything. Yeah, I think so. In fact, I... I think it started, and then the indult came. Uh, (laughs) So they kind of forced the the Pope's hand, so to speak, uh, to grant this uh, as a permission. Of course, the challenge is... When are we going
2: to start our band called Expired Indult? Oh, man. I
0: think we'll we'll change the name of the Liturgy Guys to that. uh,
1: (laughs) Well, whatever its history, it's on the books now, and it's a legitimate option. uh, But, of course, you have to watch out for people who are up to no good. We actually have two... uh,
0: People who stand and watch people receive communion like they're ushers at uh, Benedictine on Sunday and big masses because hey, I guess they've had experience where people just walk off with the Eucharist either to mm-hmm. have it in their mm-hmm. glove box or their car or at home or for satanic ritual or whatever. So it's kind of an
1: interesting thing. Yeah. All right. Let's go to 161. What do you got there, Dennis?
0: 161. That's my other favorite. If communion is given <gasps> only under the species of bread, the priest raises the host slightly and shows it to each saying, Corpus Christi. Parentheses, the body of Christ. Yours might be different, I'm still, I'm back to my old American one.
1: Mm. Is that mm-hmm. uh, pretty close? Yeah, I don't have Corpus Christi in there at all. So it's ah. each saying the body of Christ. The communicant
0: replies, amen, and receives the sacrament either on the tongue or where this is allowed, if the communicant so chooses in the hand. Is that what yours says, Or is that a repeat yeah. of the same thing? Yeah,
1: no, no, that, that's pretty As soon as the communicant
0: close. receives the host, he or she consumes it entirely. In other words, yeah. don't take it home. Yeah. let me ask you this, and it's a little backtracking, but you know, peop- I see people do all kinds of things other than the head bow before receiving communion. Right? Mm-hmm. There's the bow at the waist. There's the knee- one down on one knee and get up again, receiving standing, but all these little pre-reception gestures. I know some of them started from watching EWTN where people were doing the knee bow thing in the chapel mm-hmm. there years ago. Just nice, pious things that are uh, permitted but not prescribed, or should mm-hmm. they be ideally, without, you know, Making people angry. Should those mm-hmm. be eradicated?
1: Well, in my opinion. Which is uh, always a good one. <laughs> is uh, Well, I hope it's at least informed. <laughs> so, you know, now, the ministers at the mass don't have any options to introduce their own piety. I mean, they should be praying. They're not just going through the motions. I think there's a little bit more uh, leeway for those in the assembly to express things like that. Um, still, I, I think, again, the point of communion is to turn me into God and part of that transformation, it's, it's through no defect on the part of God or the Eucharist. The reason I'm not turned into Christ yet is because of me, And, the, and, the, yeah, and We've the been meaning to talk I, to you about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that off the air. Yeah. This uh, has been a six-year
2: intervention <laughs> that we've been really
0: winding up into.
2: So <laughs> good.
0: let's dive into that. Yeah, the whole okay. reason Jesse started this podcast was uh, not about uh, anything. just uh, to get you okay. to heaven. Uh,
1: we were but, just really worried about it for six uh, years. And, uh, <laughs> but I mean, in, in uh, again, people disagree about this. But in to my way of thinking, if I'm going to be transformed, I have to be willing and able... To be transformed which means it's not about me it's about giving over my will and my heart to god and even as expressed through his body which Mm -hmm. is the church so in my opinion this is what i would teach my kids is to do what the book says because this is a part of be becoming properly disposed for divinization if i want divinization but on my terms
0: yeah, banging uh, bang that desk. Banging
1: the desk there. It's not going to happen. Like Divin- is See, this is right. Adam and Eve wanted divinization on their terms, and it got them into trouble. Uh, what's possible now is divinization according to God's plan. and This seems to be some small part of it. What do you so think?
2: W- w- wouldn't people who argue, I guess, or advocate for reception kneeling say that? Like, it's not about them that, so that they ground themselves and humble themselves for the reception? So... Wouldn't it an alternate, you know, theory be like maybe receiving kneeling is the norm and the exception is standing? If maybe yeah. the book should should say that. I'm not maybe it, saying,
1: no no maybe it should. Yeah. I I think those th- that's the spiritual meaning behind kneeling and communion on the tongue is this fostering this type of uh, disposition of docility, and maybe the book should say that. And what when if, you become what if, pope uh... someday, you can change that, but it doesn't say that
2: what if a parish as a community mm-hmm. made that decision together to make that the norm as for the parish? Yeah, they can't do so that, the, though.
1: They're not authorized to do that. Right. At least not in any official way, but yeah.
0: anyway. That's what's called the reform of the reform, right? You want to reform the books, you ask the pope, you ask your bishop, you have conferences and all that, you start your own liturgical movement until maybe it rises up to the top and they make a change mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. But uh, that hasn't happened yet in the reception of communion okay so my digression over
1: now my turn to digress no uh, still about this 161 again notice what it says it doesn't say body of christ jesse or body of christ dennis things like it's the body of christ right so kind of the individual is decreasing so that god can increase in us and it also doesn't i mean this is a podcast on its own is nowhere is there provision here about blessings giving blessings Yo, not only,
0: hands across the chest thing yeah not only a, you're yeah, right
2: that is a whole individual yeah, podcast yeah. right there
1: but not only by me if i'm an extraordinary minister of holy communion, but even by a priest or deacon who are uh, at least uh, have the character to bless in a way that we don't uh it's not it's not a time for for blessings so, so anyway are you saying well, people
0: who aren't receiving should not go up in the line
1: well, it's not what I'm saying. I mean, this, the book doesn't say that. Yeah, right? This is the point of this is we're trying to get ourselves out of the way. It's go back to the book. And the book doesn't make any provision for that. So I appreciate the, you know the sentiment to involve people and to care for them in some way. You know, I think when when a person does present himself or herself for a blessing, I, I think the best way to, the best solution, I think, is to say, Receive Jesus in your heart, or receive spiritually Christ in your heart. Okay, because then you're you're not giving them a blessing, but you're helping to facilitate a spiritual communion and a desire to set circumstances such that you can receive sacramentally uh, the Body of Christ. So that seems to me the best solution, and that's. You know, when, when people come forward for communion.
0: You know, I just did a little, thank God for the mm-hmm. Internet in some ways, right? I just did a little search. Can people have blessings in lieu of communion? And there's actually a question answered by Father Edward McNamara, Legionary of Christ. No, Who's your uncle? No relation. Oh. Oh, but okay. apparently in 2009, um, the Holy See, in uh, 2008, had a, a respi- reply to this. Um, it doesn't actually say you may not give a blessing at that moment, but it says the liturgical blessing of Holy Mass is properly given to each and all at the conclusion of Mass. Mm-hmm. And lay people specifically are not to give uh, blessings because they are the competence of the priest. There should be no yeah. laying on of hands, um, and this that people who are not to receive communion should not approach for Holy Communion nor receive a blessing. Wow, well, mm-hmm. this would include non-Catholics envisioned in Canon Nine Fifteen which is the thing. You that should. seems
2: pretty clear to me,
0: yeah. I would say. So if you want to see it, it's called Blessings in Lieu of Communion on uh, EWM.com questions. So.
1: Yeah, go to the book. Mm-hmm. Go to the book. All right, let's go to, um, before this podcast gets too long, let's look at the communion chant uh, next. Uh, communion so chant? Is, what? What yeah. do
0: you mean communion chant? What's yeah, a communion chant?
1: Number 86. And uh, let's see, kind of a one fifty nine, I guess. So maybe i'll uh, I'll start this and then I hand it over to you, Dennis. Uh. this is here's another thing that uh, I noticed for the very first time, and this has changed how uh, is changing how we do. I'm the music director such such as it is in my parish. But listen to this. It says, um, while this is one fifty nine while the priest is receiving the sacrament, the communion chant begins. And then mm-hmm. at one eighty six, while the priest is receiving the sacrament, the communion chant is begun. So when, th- this this is a practice that varies widely. When does the communion chant or song begin? When in the priest experience. is receiving the sacrament. <laughs> well, that's what the book says. Like when the, when, does it when do you again? experience it?
0: When the cantor or somebody says, please join us in song and <laughs> page 486. And then the piano starts playing and then usually it's not until people start moving them.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm Jesse what about your
0: place
2: uh after the priest receives uh the Eucharist under okay both forms
1: all right so in most places the communion chant is not begun while the priest receives a sacrament who cares <laughs> what is the <laughs> why why should we why should we start the communion chant while the priest receives communion
0: because that's when communion begins right with him receiving communion
1: yeah I I don't know where I saw that I read it somewhere, though. It, you know, the idea is that, at least is what this thing I was reading said and struck me as reasonable, is that, uh, you know, this is a unifying uh, reception of the head and members of the body of Christ and to help symbolize and sacramentalize and manifest and express this reality that the body of Christ, head and members, are being united in the church that the communion chant encompasses everybody, all of the receptions. What do you think of that?
0: Makes sense to me. If you're (laughs) going back to your mystical body theology, head and members, Uh right? Uh And they're Uh not one priest thing and then the people do something else. It's one event. It's one mystical wedding piece of the lamb hosted by the lamb.
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, if you did wanna uh, get away from some clericalism, uh, perceived or real, I mean, this would be, I mean, the priest does his thing, and then everybody else kind of has their their moment. No, 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 it's priests and people together uh, receiving the sacrifice, which they together help to offer, albeit in their different
0: Although ways. Although he does receive it first, so it's
1: not quite yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a thing for a while, too, right, it was communion ministers would receive last, because the host... Uh, serves his guests. You mean extraordinary
0: ministers him. of Holy Communion, Chris? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Well, or
1: deacons too. Oh. Or oh, I right. suppose even priests in some yeah. places. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not in, not in the books either. But. Okay. After that little uh, factoid there at uh, 86, um, what's well, what the purpose? What about yeah. chant?
0: What about a communion chant at all?
1: Well, look at number uh, 87. What are the, What are your options here for the communion chant? The options in 87. That's my other favorite number from the germ. <laughs> Hey, you uh, think you know somebody, Jesse, and you find out he has all these favorite you
0: know, Can you tell that I got my coffee just when we started this podcast? And <laughs> yeah, now it's like, I
1: actually could
2: pinpoint when it kicked in.
0: I know. Yeah, this happened too. in one of our online courses, too. <laughs> I was so tired, and then the coffee kicked in, and suddenly life was better. Uh, well, the, first, <laughs> the option number one it lists is the antiphon from the Roman Missal or the psalm from the Roman gradual. I set to music there or in another musical setting. Well, does anybody know what that is, right? The antiphon is a text given for each mass of the, of the year um, by the church as the primary text that's supposed to be the song for communion. And so the first one is that one. But it, that number one is pretty, uh, pretty flexible, Chris, right? Because the antiphon from the Roman Missal could mean the current Roman Missal, right? Or the psalm from the Roman, Roman gradual, which is the older Latin rather complex chant, as set to music in the gradual or in some other way. But in either case, number one, even though it doesn't say in preferred order, number one pretty much usually means in Roman documents, this is the first option, and the first option is usually preferred option. So uh, we had a, I had a discussion with this. Remember Monsignor Dempsey from Chicago who taught liturgical law at the Liturgical Institute? And I asked him, and I know you and I went back and forth on this, Chris. If they're given in order, does that mean order of preference? And I asked him, and he said, and unless it says order of preference, it isn't order of preference because it's not there. But,
2: but it does imply an order of preference in musicum sacrum,
0: right? And every other document. So knew, what but, he yeah. told me was that you have, to, it, in absence of it saying an order of preference, you have to take the context from trellis licitudini, musicum sacrum, Musicae sacrae, sacrae musica disciplina, you know, all that stuff. And they were always given in that order. In fact, that's what pride of place means, primum locum. Um, prior to place for chant is... So it's it's always been in the number one spot. Graduale Romanum
1: proper text. And yeah. it's still in the number one spot. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to say this is... I mean, the L.I. did this. We do this now at St. Philip's. Is uh, We sing the Adam Bartlett setting of the communion uh, antiphon, which is right out of the missal. Uh, but again, I started singing it now while the priest is receiving. All right, so that's the first option. What are, what are the second? The seasonal antiphon
0: and psalm of the simple gradual which many people don't even know exists, I think. The simple gradual is not so simple, right? It's, uh, I guess that's the Graduale Simplex, which was actually a book produced after the Second Vatican Council, hmm. specifically mentioned hmm. in the texts of Sacrosonic Concilium that a book drawing up simpler versions of the, the chants and the uh, text of the Graduale Romanum should be done so that people could use it. Now, if you heard the Graduale Simplex, in your parish, you would say, "Oh my gosh, they're so pre-Vatican II."
1: But it's uh-huh. actually a post Didn't Pope Francis outlaw this? Yeah, it's actually
0: a post-Conciliar <laughs> book. I know that Vatican II asked to be produced, but it's right instead mm-hmm. of the kind of complex chants. And they were meant for little parishes like yours, Chris. Mm-hmm. Right? Little mm-hmm. country parishes didn't have mm-hmm. a choir, a big music director, an organ like a cathedral. Mm-hmm. And then number three. Shall I go to number three? Yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, keep going. Good. A song from another collection of psalms and antiphons approved by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops or the Diocesan Bishop. Now, here's where number one and three almost sound like the same thing, right? So number one gives you some other setting of the, the text in the gradual, and then this says some other setting of psalms. I suppose that means that they may not be from the gradual, but they're mm-hmm. psalms nonetheless. Yeah, or,
1: or even those arranged in uh, metrical form. Mm-hmm. So do you, have you ever come across this thing? Uh, I think the author is Christoph Tietze. Yeah, the yeah. liturgical institute publication from many years ago.
0: Yeah, Sim- yeah. Well, not Symboling's gradual. What's it called? Uh, uh,
1: Hymn Introits. Him Introits, right. And so he's taken the antiphon and psalms and included the doxology, but set them in this metrical form to mm-hmm. like Old 100th or mm-hmm. Duke Street or something like Which that. Which for some reason didn't sing. seem
0: to take off. Um, probably because the tradie people wanted the real thing. And chant, mm-hmm. and the more uh, less stratty people mm-hmm. wanted their favorite hymns. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was, it was a good idea, as, especially as a. British I thought it was option. a good idea yeah. too. Yeah. But here's the larger question: Why does why does the church want that text? Even in number four here, it says a suitable liturgical song, or does it say chant in your version? Now I remember that was a, v- just, a uh, chant. Yeah. I have the older translation. So that's,
2: well, that's my question. I'm reading all of these, and nowhere does it say the word
0: "him." Right. Mm-hmm. Everything says chant. Mm-hmm. Right, and the word Latin in Latin is cantus, which can be translated as song or chant. And so that's where the power of the translator comes in, right? What it, is it, well, it's a chant. How is it different from a song? But either way, the point is the most liturgical thing is your 100% solution of your chemical, right, liturgical text in the gradual Romanum. Mm-hmm and you're allowed to scale back as necessary, but you're Mm -hmm. never supposed to just do something else or ideally
1: nothing. Yeah, I mean, just put them in a balance. Sure, you can sing a text that was written 3000 years ago by King David, and that probably makes a direct reference to the gospel reading that you heard, or you could choose something that was composed 50 years ago. (laughs) And maybe it's great. That's not to say just because it's composed recently, it's not very good. But I mean, the just the the substance of, of the words here, I think are, yeah. uh, it's
0: not, not a comparison. I like, think the Star Spangled Banner, which was a British drinking song, right? Before they hmm. put the words of the Star Spangled Banner, which is, I don't know if you ever saw this at college parties, but people would have a few beers and maybe a few more than they should. And they would want to sing the Star Spangled Banner by land of the free, right? Drunken people do it at baseball games. But imagine someone said, well, you know, the Star-Spangled Banner is too hard for you. Why don't we sing some paraphrasing of it to another metrical tune that you know? You'd say, yeah, no, that's not ideal. I mean, it's better than singing nothing. But in the ideal world, you want to sing the melody. You want to sing the words. And I think that's how the church sees it here. If you can If you can't do that, you can step back, but always is an approximation of a fuller level of what the communion chant for the day is. And sometimes it's amazing, you know, like the Christmas texts are like, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And then, you know, oh, little town of Bethlehem, you are so cute. Jesus, such a (laughs) cute baby in a little manger, right? They're both true, but one of them is like incarnation and kenosis and Mm -hmm. God becoming us to make us like him. And the other one is cute babies and mangers. So, uh, you know, yeah. I wouldn't want watered-down coffee. Why do I want watered-down community <laughs> chants? Right, Jesse? Well, hey, didn't
2: you tell me <laughs> that you're into lattes now, which is like a milked-down coffee? Oh, yeah, right.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> coffee bugs my stomach, so I've decided, I've discovered that if I have, a l- like, a shot of espresso in a ju- 12 ounces of milk, that actually gives me all the caffeine, which I'm sure you're thrilled to be experiencing right now. And... <laughs> Less of the uh, influence on my tum tum.
2: Yeah, poorly written hymns bug my stomach. So,
1: true enough. All right. <laughs> hey, all right. Let's wrap this up. Go, uh, number 88. When the distribution of communion is over, if appropriate, the priest and faithful pray quietly for some time. If desired, a psalm or other canticle of praise or a hymn may also be sung mm-hmm. by the whole congregation. So, if you're going to have a
0: hymn, that's your uh, that's your place for it.
1: Yeah. Now, Dennis, you uh, wanted to talk about the uh, purification at, uh, of the vessels at number uh, 137. <laughs> I, has the mass. caffeine like
0: erased my memory or something?
2: Oh, I thought you were joking. No, you literally said before recording
0: this, you're like, can we talk about this? Oh, 137 weird. in the missile. Okay, I thought you meant Yeah, in the in order, mass, order okay. of mass. Okay. Yeah, 137 and all of that. Yeah. What did I say there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> when the distribution of communion is over, they purified the patent and the chalice and also the chalice over the chalice and also the chalice itself. Okay, so let's look at that. I didn't read it exactly, but purify the patent over the chalice. What does that mean, Chris or Jesse?
2: It means that if there are any particles left on the patent, then they have mm-hmm. to be uh put in the chalice because ultimately uh the priest is going to have pour more water. Yeah, you know. And in and the, the ultra the they swirl. swirl.
0: They could um, purify with wine as well. And I think that's still uh, permitted, as if I understand. Mm-hmm. That, right? Just
2: to make sure that as much of the remains are consumed as possible.
0: Of course, yeah. And what most people never hear is that this little prayer. While well, he carries out the purification, the priest says quietly, quietly, What has passed our lips as food, O Lord, may we possess in purity of heart, that what has been given to us in time may be our healing for eternity. That is so good. So good. Hey, that would be an awesome hymn. Hey, somebody out there who loves hymns, that would be one of the best uh, communion hymns out there, a little four-part 4, four part something or other.
2: It could even be a little prayer that you say to yourself mm-hmm. when you're you know, meditating after
0: reception. All right. Purity of heart means like the deepest desire of your love of God, and it comes past your lips as food. But, and it's given to us in time, in other words, sacramental. But our healing for eternity, may it make us like God. So all this sacramental language that's embedded in there, tangible stuff, fills our heart with love of God, desire for God, unity with God. It's given to us in time, but it's to make us ready to be with God for eternity.
1: All right, two quick questions. Who can purify the vessels?
0: Bum, bum, The priest.
1: The priest. The deacon. The deacon. And? An acolyte.
0: An
2: acolyte.
1: An acolyte, yep. Yeah, That's but not an extraordinary minister of holy communion, right? Yeah. yeah, because it's part of the priest's identity, and I suppose by extension, those who assist him to uh, to care for the vessels. Yes. Do
0: you remember the great vessel purification debate of like uh, twelve yeah. years ago? Yeah. <laughs> people yeah. were arguing over can uh, layperson do this? Should mm-hmm. they be left on the credence table? Should they be purified after mass? All this stuff, yeah. Yeah. and the, the people are crying clericalism, clericalism. They're denying us the right to do the dishes, but. Gosh, imagine if you made your guest do the dishes. If you want to go- talk mm. meal
1: theory, mm. no, no, no. Yeah. Where, uh, here's another question. Where are the vessels purified?
0: At the altar. Or what if there's a lot of chalices? Or in the
1: sacristy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or the credence table. I, I the, those are all the right answers. If the priest purifies the vessels or the priest and the deacon, it takes place at the altar. Or can't take place at the altar because this is the the spot of the priest. If the deacon does it alone, he doesn't do it at the altar. He's not the priest. He has to do it at the credence table, or they can be uh, placed on the credence table, suitably covered and purified uh, after mass. Oh, they can. So, okay, by yeah, the priest or yeah. deacon still, or can a sacristan do it at that point? No, no, no. By a priest, deacon, or instituted acolytes. So, but yeah. that's probably but, not. But a good never idea. in the sacristy. No, it can be in the sacristy, oh, okay. but not by anyone except a priest, deacon, or institute, I collect. Got it. Okay. All right. Then the, uh, well, I guess, what's next? If your order of mass 139. The priest returns to the chair. That's 138. Sacred oh, okay. silence
0: may be observed, or psalm or the canticle. Yeah. Prays. yeah, you said that.
1: Okay. And then he stands
0: at the altar or at the chair, facing the people with hands joined, says, let us pray.
1: And he says a prayer. And Jesse says...
2: Sorry, I
0: was
1: muted. And amen. With your spirit, amen, amen. Okay. <laughs> all right. And yeah. with your amen. All right, and so that brings to a conclusion the uh, the communion rite. Okay. And so uh, when we're but not our coverage oh, yeah. of the. <laughs> oh yeah, we still have the the podcast you've all been waiting for. We should start a twenty four seven
0: have. liturgical commentary channel. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh my awesome god, nonstop. Yeah. I remember yeah. as a kid when CNN first started; it was like the first twenty four hour news. Our news thing we're like who would watch news all day well chris when you
2: were a kid they didn't have uh tv on all the time right There were like at a certain point there'd be like there'd be no tv past 10 p.m or something
1: right? you mean yeah. because my
0: parents it like 1 a.m no they would like have a test screen and they would oh, play the right. national anthem and then it would go <clears throat> just like that white staticky stuff they didn't have infomercials back then that's part of why yeah. Yeah. all right that's it all right, should we answer a liturgy question then? Uh... Who can purify the vessel? Oh, yeah, All
2: right. yeah I th- I, that's what I was thinking the whole time. I was like, maybe let's just make that the question. All right, good. All right, <laughs> liturgy question. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care?
0: Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally
1: without meaning. Dennis, do you want to be like Jesse Jesse? Do you have a question? Yes. Jesse, Jesse. Do we have a question?
0: <clears throat> yes, we do. Okay. Is it a secret Why question? It's kinda of secret, actually, because this is a question from Denagunda, which is me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it about I, praying uh, in a low voice? No. No. <laughs> so, be, devote, so, 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 so
0: Actually somebody corrected me because I mentioned that the readings were often silent in the low mass and That they're not silent. They're so voce, which means there's no such thing as silent reading of Mass. Anyway, here's my question. I have noticed, not so much in this diocese, but when I travel, oftentimes uh, uh, deacons, permanent deacons, when they have a role, don't stand with their feet planted when they speak. So the priest will say, Lord be with you with your spirit. And when the deacon's ready to say whatever he says next, go forth, the Mass ended or something, he'll like step forward and then step back. And they tend to, when they speak, they tend to want to move rather than stay in place. And uh, it irritates me, but me being irritated is not the same thing as it being liturgical. <laughs> liturg- now, that should be a liturgical <laughs> principle, but it's not. So,
1: Chris, what do you think? You train deacons all the time, yeah. right? Hmm. Uh, yeah, we, 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 just, we just finished a semester of that or even more. Hmm. The question never came up. I think, uh, I don't think it's necessary, but it kind of seems reasonable, I guess, doesn't it? Uh, to sort, yeah, you shouldn't be fidgeting and shifting from foot to foot and things like that, but uh, if you're to step forward a little bit doesn't seem unreasonable, but again, it I don't me
0: as mm-hmm. I wanna I want to be heard and I want to move where it seems like he shouldn't be stepping two steps in front of the priest, even if he's not directly in front of the priest, but he's mm-hmm. you know ahead of the priest, so to speak. It's just feet planted, stay in place, hands folded, and say what he's supposed to say, and not
1: yeah. move well, certainly that's the character of the the Roman. Uh, ritual as it's uh, there's a economy of gestures and postures and words and things like that and we tend to want to elaborate uh, on gestures and texts and words but it's not called for it's uh, it's it's Caesar saying veni vidi vici that's it nothing else to say um, and that's 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 what the Roman rite is like and so yeah I suppose to uh, respect your heritage would uh, would suggest that kind of stay put. All right. And major crisis well, addressed <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Well, we t- we also it,
2: talked about being humble and all of, you know, grounding yourself and all of that stuff um in this episode as well. So like, you know, presenting yourself and hey, here this is me. We should avoid that.
1: Yeah. Dennis, I've asked you this question many times, and I think I found the answer, but now I can't remember who it was, that art is something, uh, is nature constrained by law or something like that? And you always claim you don't know who said that, but maybe it was you. I mean, if we talk about, you know, a frame is is limited, a, a, a picture is limited by its frame. And even the there's constraints within a masterpiece of, uh, of a work of art and it just it doesn't go all over the place and if if we're fostering an ars celebrandi this art of celebrating i think part of that for a deacon or a priest or any of the ministers is knowing what to do but almost knowing what the limits of what you ought to do are and this is what um, you know if the mona lisa had this great big ear to ear grin <laughs> you know and it wasn't constrained just so then uh, it wouldn't be the masterpiece uh, that it is. So yeah, I think part of an ars celebrandi is is knowing the limits of your art. So if a
0: deacon said to you in class, should I keep my feet planted on the floor when I say my words? Would you say yes?
1: I'd say do what your pastor tells you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I yeah, said probably. Chris, what's your yeah. <laughs> liturg-
0: liturgical principle? Yeah. No, if I it think noise, DMAC,
1: then. Don't uh, yeah. Yeah, i put that as a footnote. But do what the book says and don't do what the book doesn't say. Literally. And it doesn't tell footnote. you to, to do that. So, <laughs> oh, that's good, and if you have I a liturgy you.
0: question oh, – oh, wait. That's your job, Jesse.
2: No, go ahead. Uh, you know, you I've, can be – no, I've be heard it if you have a liturgy question,
0: you can uh, email us at liturgy t- questions. Isn't this <laughs> hilarious after six years? Uh, at liturgy questions <laughs> at liturgy uh, guy. <laughs> Keep going. This is great. If uh, if you have a liturgy question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com, or you can tweet Chris but not get an answer, or you can, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That was so good.
1: All right. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end.
2: Our hosts are Chris Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis Big McNamara, and Jesse Y-O-Y-O-Weiler.
1: Our producers are
0: Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our Epiclesis
1: Inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our Liturgical Bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our Official Aerobics Instructor is Jen Uflect. Our Enforcer of Choral Discipline is Don
0: B-Flat. Our Official Rubrics Interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our Self-Gift
1: Provider is Kenosis. Our Simplicity Enforcer is Fran Siskin.
0: And lastly, our Crack Team of Confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the Liturgy Liturgy Guys.